Welcome to this Uvula audio presentation of John Doe and the Cherub by L. Frank Baum. Volume 7 Chapter 15 The Fairy Beavers John had seen beautiful rooms on the island of romance, but nothing there could compare with the magnificence and grandeur of this hall of the Fairy Beavers' palace. The walls were set thick with brilliant jewels, arranged in a way that formed exquisite pictures, all of these borrowing colors from the natural tints of the gems. The ceiling was clustered with tiny glass globes, in each of which was captured a sunbeam, and these lent a charming radiance to the splendid room. Many cushions were strewn upon the floor, and the floor itself was of gold, richly engraved with scenes depicting the lives and adventures of the beavers. While our friends admired the loveliness of the Hall of the Beavers, the silver-furred king spoke again in a soft voice. You are now underneath the deep water formed by our dam, which was built by the beavers who were our forefathers many years ago, and which has endured until now. But in all the years of its existence, the little princess and the incubator baby are the first human beings to be admitted to our fairy palace. Your companion, my dears, is merely gingerbread, and lives by means of fairy powers that make him a fit comrade for fairies the world over. It was very good of you to save us from the Mifkits, and we are grateful, said the princess. You're all right, added Chick emphatically. I'm glad to be of service to one so sweet and beautiful, returned the king with a dignified bow toward the princess. And to one so merry and frank, he continued turning to Chick. And now, if you will kindly follow me, I will show you the rooms of my palace and introduce you to my people. You must be content to remain my guests until I can find means to restore you to the freedom of the upper world in which you are accustomed to exist. He led them through the gorgeous halls and along delightful passages into various rooms. Some were large and some were small, but all were extremely beautiful and Chick wondered greatly at the extent of this underwater palace, the existence of which no one could suspect who stood in the forest above. "'Are all beavers' homes like this?' asked the child. "'No, indeed,' answered the king, laughing softly. "'They are usually houses composed of mud mixed with bits of wood and the leaves and branches of trees. But I am king of the beaver fairies, who watch over all the fortunes, of ordinary beavers and take care of them we are invisible even to beavers and the eyes of mankind can never see us unless as in your case we permit them to do so these rooms seem to you deserted but i assure you they are filled with many beaver fairies who are even now watching you with much curiosity both the children started at hearing this and glanced hastily around but nothing but the walls of the palace met their gaze, and the king smiled upon them indulgently. At the banquet this evening, he said, I will permit you to see my people, but now please come to the music room where you may enjoy the strains of harmony that provide us with one of our chief amusements. He led the way to another room, the roof of which was dome-shaped. From different points in this dome projected the ends of many silver tubes, and near the floor of the room, directly underneath each of the tubes, 
was placed a plate of glass or of metal. The king invited his guests to seat themselves and then pressed the diamond button that was placed in the wall. This allowed the water from the river above them to drip slowly through the silver tubes, and as it fell drop by drop on the place beneath, it made sounds that were very sweet and harmonious. The metal plates gave out deep, resonant sounds, while the smaller glass plates tinkled melodiously as the drops of water fell upon them. Neither Chick nor the princess recognized the first tune that was played, for it had been composed by one of the fairy beavers. But afterwards the king played Home Sweet Home for them and Annie Laurie, and the music was so exquisitely sweet and soft that the girl declared she would never have imagined that sounds so delightful could be produced, and Chick pronounced the entertainment all right. The gingerbread man was also pleased, for it was the first real music he had ever heard, and it soothed and comforted him beyond measure. The fairy king seemed glad to give his new friends pleasure, and when the princess remarked that she would like to know what the Mifkets thought of their sudden escape, the beaver led them to what he called the observation room. In it was a square box draped with black silk and having a window on one side. Seating the girl and her companions before this window, the king said, You will now observe what the Mifkets are doing. Instantly a picture appeared in the box, and it seemed that through the little window they were gazing upon a section of the forest that they had recently left. There were the Mifkits, indeed, with Black Oboe and the Arab among them, and all were quarrelling and fighting among themselves in their usual way, and trying to decide what had become of the gingerbread man and the children. They are drowned at the bottom of the river by this time, Black Oboe said and the words came as distinctly to their ears as if they had been standing beside him. "'I hope not,' answered Abidub, "'for I have never yet had a single bite of the gingerbread man, although I bought and paid for him.' Then the scene changed, and they saw Pere Bruin climbing slowly up the side of the steep hill to his den. He seemed none the worse for his roll down the mountain and his bath in the river, and they noticed that he laughed and chuckled to himself, as if much amused. That was a good fight, Jando heard him murmur in the bear language, and I'm mighty glad that I was in time to save the princess, Chick, and the delicatessen man. They're safe enough with the beavers by this time. The white rabbit says so. Then he laughed again, and reaching the top of the hill, entered his cave and laid down to rest. Again the scene changed, and the princess beheld the open sea, upon which floated the boat, that bore safely her mother and father. They seemed to be quite comfortable, and the girl was pleased to see that they had put enough provisions and fresh water into the boat to last them during a very long voyage. The man, although little, was strong and pulled sturdily at the oars, and the woman steered the boat in the right direction. Our princess was very glad to see these sights and to know Pera Bruin was safe, and that her dear parents had escaped the fierce biffkets. In company with her friend Chick and the gingerbread man, she wandered through the palace during that afternoon, seeing many wonderful things that the fairy beavers had provided for the comfort and amusement of their community. It was indeed a little world unto itself, placed under land and water where no mortal could guess its existence. In the early evening, the king escorted them to a splendid banquet hall, where a low, long table was set in the center of the room. The dishes were all of sparkling cut glass, and the eatables proved to be very delicious foods made from vegetables that grew 
at the bottom of the river, together with fish and lobsters and oysters and many rare sweetmeats that could only have been created by the magic of the fairies themselves. Around the long table were rows of silken cushions, but when the children and the gingerbread man entered, the room seemed deserted by all save themselves and the king. His Majesty, the King of the Fairy Beavers, sat upon a cushion at the head of the table, and graciously placed the princess and chick close to his right hand, and John Doe on his left. Then he blew softly upon a silver whistle, and at once before the eyes of his guests appeared rows of fairy beavers, occupying the cushions beside the low table. They were all pretty to look upon, having silvery fur as soft as satin, and large dark eyes that regarded the strangers pleasantly and without fear. From the neck of each was suspended by means of silken cords a richly embroidered cloak, exquisitely woven from a material unknown to the princess, and blazoned with an emblem denoting the rank or degree of the wearer. Also each of the fairy beavers wore a jeweled circlet upon the brow, but none of these were so magnificent as the diadem of their king. While our friends gazed wonderingly upon the fairy beavers, the king introduced them, saying, This is a little mortal princess named Jacqueline, whom I have protected because her heart is as fresh and innocent as the daisies that grow in the field. This is Chick, known also as the cherub, an incubator baby without relatives, but who is not lacking in friends. And this is John Doe, a strange creature having the form of a man but made out of gingerbread. He's not exactly a fairy, but lives through the magic of a fairy compound known as the Great Elixir, and is therefore not responsible for being alive, and is liable to perish before he has grown very old. Each of these guests is, I believe, worthy of our friendship and protection, and I trust that my people will join me in welcoming them to our palace. Answering the king's speech, all the beaver fairies gracefully arose from their cushions, and bowed three times, once to the princess, once to Chick, and once to John Doe. And they all reseated themselves, and drank to the health of their guests, from dainty tumblers no bigger than harebells, which contained water as pure as crystal. Then, while the feast began, a chorus of black beavers entered and chanted a pretty song, and afterwards other beavers, so small that the princess thought that they had to be quite young, entered and danced a minuet for the amusement of the entire company. Chick and the Princess Jacqueline were really hungry, and although the children at first feared the food placed before them was not such as they could enjoy, they tasted some of the dishes and found them so delicious that both ended up eating heartily, and afterwards decided that they had never enjoyed a meal so much. Of course John Doe missed the pleasure of eating, but he had a good time listening to the music and watching the dances, so he was quite content. Later he amused the company by telling the story of his adventures since he had come to life in the bake shop. He spoke in the beaver language so that all understood him, and even the princess could understand most of his speech, for the portion of gingerbread she had eaten had conveyed to her some share of the powers of the great elixir. The fairy beavers were much interested and loudly applauded the recital. After dinner, the girl was escorted by six pretty beaver fairies to a cosy little room decorated with pink and white shells, which were polished smooth as glass. There was no regular bed in the room, but the beavers heaped many of the soft cushions into a corner, and upon these the princess lay down and slept very peacefully until the next morning. 
Chick had a room of blue and gold, in the four corners of which perfumed fountains shot their sprays into the air. The tinkling sounds of these fountains might have soothed any child to sleep, yet Chick could have slept as soundly in the open forest as within this luxurious room. John Doe also was supplied with a room in the palace, but as he did not sleep he had no need to lie down, and so amused himself during the night by looking at the beautiful pictures that decorated the walls and ceiling. Most of these depicted the work of beavers engaged in building dams and houses. John found them very interesting, and therefore passed a pleasant night. Soon after daybreak the beaver king came to John and escorted him to the observation room where he found Chick and the princess, who had already risen and finished their breakfasts, gazing earnestly through the window of the black box. He also approached the box to gaze at the shifting pictures, and discovered that the forest had become as quiet as usual, the Arab and black oboe having returned to the village in the clearing, and only a few of the mifkits being left to wander along the sides of the brook and watch the waterfall at the dam of the beavers. Now said the fairy beaver to the girl. I can do one more thing to please you. Make a wish, princess, and I will grant it. Oh, thank you, she cried eagerly. I wish to rejoin my dear father and mother, wherever they may be. Very well, returned the king. Come with me. He led them through many passages until they reached a sort of tunnel that brought them to a rocky cave under the river bank some distance below the waterfall. The water of the river covered half the floor of the cave, and upon the sandy beach at its edge rested a large glass cylinder, which was pointed at both ends, and had a door at the top. Harnessed to one end of the glass tube were twenty-four strong beavers, who sat motionless beside it. The boat in which your father and mother are still riding is far out on the ocean, said the king to the princess. But in this submarine you will be drawn by my swimming beavers so swiftly that the journey will not seem long to you. Are we not to go with the princess? asked the gingerbread man. There is room for only one more in the boat, replied the king. So the cherub and you must bid farewell to your friend, in order that she may safely rejoin the parents she loves so dearly. I am sorry, said John sadly. I'm sorry, too, declared the little princess, for you have been very good to me, John Doe, yet my parents need me more than you do, and it is my duty to rejoin them. That is true, said John. Good-bye, little friend, and may your life be long and happy. Chick said nothing but hugged the little girl in a long, warm embrace, and kissed both her pretty cheeks. The king now opened the door on the top of the cylinder, and the girl stepped inside. The space was just big enough to permit her to lie down comfortably, and the bottom of the cylinder had been thickly covered with soft cushions brought from the palace. When the king had closed and fastened the door, he gave a signal to the four-and-twenty beavers, and at once they dashed into the water, drawing the glass submarine after them, and began swimming with powerful strokes down the river. They swam well under the surface of the water, and the glass boat followed them without either touching the bottom or rising to the top. At first the princess was much bewildered by her strange journey, for it seemed as if the water was pressing upon her from all sides. But presently she realized that 
she was quite safe in the glass tube, and began watching curiously the pretty weeds and water-flowers that grew at the bottom of the river, and the queer fishes that swam around her. The speed of the swimming beavers was surprising. It was not long indeed before they reached the mouth of the river and swam boldly out into the sea. Jacqueline had no idea of the direction they took, but she trusted to the wisdom of her friend the fairy beaver, and was not at all frightened. And now the sights that she saw were very strange indeed, for the seaweeds were of most gorgeous hues, and there were not only big and little fishes of every description, but brilliant sea anemones and jellyfish floating gracefully on all sides of her. The journey was long, but not at all tiresome, and the girl had not realized how far she had been drawn through the waters of the ocean, when a dark grey object appeared just overhead, and the beavers came to a halt. Slowly the glass cylinder rose to the surface of the waves, and Jacqueline saw just beside her the boat containing her parents. The girl's mother also saw, to her great surprise and joy, the form of her daughter lying in the glass case, and at once unfastened the door, and assisted the child to crawl out and scramble into the boat. "'Tell your king that I thank him,' she called to the beavers, trying to speak their own language, and the intelligent little creatures must have understood the glass cylinder sank swiftly beneath the water, and she saw it no more. Many days the princess and her parents rode in the boat, until one morning they came to another small island, and ventured to land upon it. They found it to be a beautiful place, inhabited by no savage beasts of any sort, and containing a grove of trees that bore figs and bananas and dates, and many other delicious fruits. So they built themselves a cottage on this island, and live there in peace and happiness for many years. Chapter 16 Flight of the Flamingos After the princess had left them, John Doe said to the king, What is to become of Chica and me? We cannot stay with you always. I know that, answered the beaver fairy. Is there any place you especially desire to visit? No special place is known to me, said the gingerbread man. Doesn't matter where we go, so long as we keep going, added the practical chick. You have been very kind to us, continued John, and we may rely upon that friendship. Since you possess such wonderful fairy powers, perhaps you will assist us to leave this island and get out into the world again where we may seek new adventures. It shall be as you wish, promised the king, but I must think it will wait for you to leave by a palace in perfect safety. Chick is in no great danger, but should Black Oboe or that terrible Arab chance upon you, they would cut your gingerbread to bits in no time, and you would be ruined. For this reason, it will be best for you to leave this island as quickly as possible. John readily agreed to this, and the king remained silent for several minutes, engaged in deep thought. Then he said, I believe I know a way to save you, John Doe, but I must have your permission to cut you into nine pieces. What good will I be when I am cut into pieces? asked John, somewhat alarmed at the suggestion. Do not fear, said the beaver. I promise to again restore you to your present form. 
The Mifkits have placed spies all about our dam, and if you attempted to walk away from here, they would soon discover you. Therefore, I will cut you into nine pieces, wrap each piece in a bit of cloth, and send the parcels by my beavers along different paths to the top of the hill where Perabruin lives. There the bear and chick can put you together again, for the child will have no trouble in reaching the bear's cage. After the nine parts are in place, I will give you a magic cordial to drink. It will render your body as solid and substantial as it is now. But how can we escape from the island once we have reached Perabruin's cave? The Flamingo people owe me many favors, answered the king. You do not weigh much, so I will ask one of the flamingos to fly with you to some other country. It will take two of the birds to carry a chick, but if the child is not afraid, the journey will be perfectly safe. I'm not afraid, said Chick. Anything suits me. I think your plan is an excellent one, declared John, and we are both greatly obliged to your majesty for your kindness. So the king brought a great knife and with the assistance of Chick, who was much interested in the operation, cut John Doe into nine pieces. These were wrapped into packages, and eight beavers were summoned who carried eight of the packages through secret passages to the forest, and then up the mountainside to the cave of Herobruin. The ninth package, containing the head of John Doe, the king undertook to carry himself and although the Mifkit spies of Black Oboe noticed the nine beavers carrying the packages up the hillside, they paid little attention to them, never suspecting that in this queer fashion the gingerbread man was making his escape. And Chick walked boldly along the river bank and up the hill to meet Para Bruin, who hugged the child joyfully in his rubber arms and tried to lick the plump cheeks with his pink rubber tongue. The Mifkits were puzzled by Chick's appearance, and wondered where the little one had come from, but they did not offer to interfere with the child in any way. It was not long before the beaver king reached the bear's cave and laid the ninth package containing John's head beside the other eight, which had already arrived. "'What's all this?' asked Perabru and I in the packages with much surprise. "'Be patient and you will see,' replied the king. He then unwrapped John's head, when the bear saw it, he uttered a groan and exclaimed, Alas, my poor friend has come to a sad end. Not so, answered John's head. The fairy beaver has cut me apart, but he has promised to put me together again, so that I will be as good as new. And you must assist us, friend bearer. Most willingly, declared the bear. Then, under the king's direction, Para Bruin and Chick set up John's legs, and placed the sections of his body upon them, and afterwards perched his head upon the body. John expected to tumble down at any moment, for he was just like a house of blocks that a child builds, and everyone knows how easily that falls apart. But he kept as still as possible, and at length all the nine parts of him were in their proper places. Then the king handed a small silver flask to the child, and told Chick to pour the contents into John's mouth just between the candy teeth. Chick, by standing on his tiptoes, was able to do this, and John drank the cordial to the last drop. He seemed to feel it penetrate and spread through all his gingerbread body, and, as it did so, every one of the cut places became solid again, 
and presently John took a step forward, looked himself over, and found that he was indeed as good as new. "'That cordially's great stuff,' he said to the King Beaver. "'It's almost as powerful as the great elixir itself.' "'It is an excellent remedy for cuts,' replied the King. "'And as you are so crumbly and unsubstantial, I will give you another bottle of it, so that if you ever meet with an accident you may drink the cordial and recover.' He handed John another silver flask, containing the wonderful liquid, which John accepted with much gratitude. "'Now I must leave you,' said the king. "'The flamingos have promised to send here their strongest flyers to bear you and the incubator baby to another land, so I believe you will both live to encounter many further adventures.' Chick and John again thanked the kind beaver for all the favors they had received, and then the king and his people returned to their beautiful palace, and left the gingerbread man and the cheerful cherub and Perabruin alone upon the mountain top. "'What has become of the princess?' asked the bear. John told him the story of her escape, and Peris said, "'Well, I'm glad the dear child was able to rejoin her parents, but this island will be a dreary place without her. I wish I could leave it as easily as you and Chick can.' Perhaps the flamingos will also carry you, said John. Do you think? asked Perra eagerly. I'll ask them about it, for I understand their language, promised John. And this so delighted the rubber bear that he bounded up and down in glee. Before long, four great birds were seen approaching through the air, and soon they alighted upon the mountain close to where our friends were. We were sent to carry a gingerbread man and a fair-haired child away from this island, said one of the birds in a squeaky voice. I'm the gingerbread man, replied John, speaking as the flamingo did, and here is the fair-haired child, but we also wish you to carry our friend Pera Bruin with us. One of you can carry me, and two can carry Chick. That will leave the fourth to fly with Pera Bruin, if you will kindly consent. "'What? That monstrous bear?' exclaimed one of the birds indignantly. "'He is large, it is true,' replied John. "'But he's made of rubber, and he's hollow inside, "'so he really doesn't weigh much more than I do.' "'Well,' said the flamingo, "'if that's the case, I do not object to carrying him.' John related this conversation to the bear, who was overjoyed at the thought of getting away from the island. A stout cord had been tied to the feet of each of the flamingos, and John now proceeded to fasten the loose end of one of the cords around his own body, tying it in a firm knot so it would not come undone, and let him drop. The cords hanging from the two birds that were to carry the cherub were tied together into a hard knot and thus formed a swing in which the child sat quite comfortably. Pera Bruin now tied himself to the fourth flamingo, and the preparations were complete. "'Are you ready?' asked the leader of the flamingos. "'Yes,' said John. "'Where do you wish to be taken?' "'We don't care much,' replied the gingerbread man. "'Let us get to some island where there are no mifkits. "'As for Ali Dub, he would be obliged to stay here with his friend, Black Opal. "'And once I am away from these shores, I shall be sure he can never eat me.' 
So the big birds flew into the air, carrying with them the gingerbread man and the fair-haired child and the rubber bear. And so swift was their flight that in a few moments the island of the Mifkits had vanished from their view. Nice ride, isn't it? Chick called to John. Rather nice, answered the gingerbread man. But this cord is so tight it's wearing a crease in my body. What a pity you're not made of rubber like I am, said the bear cheerfully. Nothing ever injures me in the least. I'm practically indestructible. How are you getting on, Chick? asked John. Fine, answered the cherub. This knocks Imar's flying machine into a cocked hat. Then for a time they sailed in silence, dangling from the ends of their cords, while the strong wings of the flamingos beat the air with regular strokes just above their heads. The birds flew close together and made great speed, and in about three hours from the time that they had started, an island appeared just ahead of them, whereupon John said to the bird that bore him, Let us stop here so we can examine the island and see how we like it. This cord is cutting into my gingerbread body, and I'd like to stop for a time anyway. Very well, answered the bird. And when they were over the center of the island, the flamingos gradually descended and alit upon the ground. John untied the cord from his waist, and also assisted Chick and Perabruin to free themselves. The bear was not injured at all, but the cord had worn a straight line around John's body, although not very deep and in some way the gingerbread man had lost another of his lozenge buttons. The place where they had alighted was covered by grass and surrounded by groves of trees. This looks like a fine country, said Chick, gazing around. Well, this is better than our old island, remarked Perabruin. But just as he spoke, the flamingos uttered shrill screams and flew quickly into the air and our friends turned just in time to see a most curious creature come from the grove and approach them. Chapter 17 Sport of Pirate Island The figure that approached our trio of heroes had somewhat the likeness of a man, yet was too queer ever to be mistaken for a human being, although it was certainly alive. Its body was a huge punching bag, and its head was a football. For legs, it had two of those golf clubs called putters, and one of its arms was a tennis racket, and the other a baseball bat. This was curious enough in all conscience, but the face was more curious yet, for the eyes were golf balls, and the nose a square of billiard chalk, and its mouth a mere slit in the football where the lacing had come undone. Taken altogether, this odd creature presented a most surprising appearance, and while John Doe and Perabruin stared at it in amazement, Chick asked boldly, Who are you? Sport is my name, and sport my nature, answered the creature, winking one eye frightfully and grinning until its queer mouth curled up at both corners of the slit. Sport, remarked the rubber bear gravely, is something amusing so I am sure you are misnamed. So you're a balloon, returned Sport, kicking at the bear with one of his golf club feet. The kid's a chucklehead, and the other's a bun. I'm not the bun, exclaimed John indignantly. Yes, you are, and a cross bun too. Hot cross bun. Cool off, boy. Look pleasant. 
John was too angry to reply to this speech, but Chick said to the creature, If you're going to be so disagreeable, you'd better leave us. We don't care to associate with people of your sort. Don't care to associate, huh? Do you know where you are? No, and I don't care, said Chick. Well, this island is inhabited by retired pirates and bandits who make every one that lands here pay a heavy ransom, or else. Or else what? asked John as Sport stopped short and gave another horrid wink. Or else they boil them in oil for three days, was the reply. Well, said the bear, we can't pay a ransom, that's for certain. But I'm not afraid of being boiled in oil. I'm practically indestructible. But I'm not, cried John, much in alarm. It would ruin my gingerbread to be boiled in oil, and Chick would certainly get overheated. I'm afraid it would melt your rubber too, my dear Para. Really? It would? asked the bear with a start. Well, then let's get away from this island at once. By all means, agreed John Doe. And the sooner the better, declared Chick. But as they turned to look for the flamingos, the creature who called himself Sport began pounding his punching bag body with his tennis racket arm. At the sound of this, a crowd of men ran out of the grove of trees and quickly surrounded the rubber bear and Chick and the gingerbread man. These men had heavy beards, hooked noses, and piercing black eyes. They wore red sashes tied around their waists, and laced leggings, and blue flannel shirts open at the throats, and in their belts were stuck many daggers, and knives, and pistols. They were whooping and screeching and yelling like Indians, and their leader, who was uglier looking than any of his fellows, cried out, Avast there, me hearties! There's a chance for either a fine ransom or a pot of boiling oil. Then it's oil, said Perebruin despondently, for we don't have any ransom. You may as well start the bonfire, remarked Chick. But John Doe stepped up to the pirate chief and asked, How much ransom do you require? Well, you're not worth much yourself, and the child's too small to count. But a fine rubber bear like that is worth, well, I would say ten pieces of eight, or a sparkling jewel. I will give you a sparkling jewel for him as a ransom, said John, provided you will then permit us to depart in peace. All righty then, agreed the pirate. Hand over the sparkler and you may go. So John borrowed a dagger from the chief and picked out of his body one of the three diamonds which the inventor had given him on the Isle of Freaks. It glittered most beautifully in the sunlight, and the eyes of the pirate also glittered with greed, for he had noticed two other scars on John's gingerbread body, similar to the one the diamond had been picked out of. Taking the diamond in his dirty hand, he said, Well, where are the other jewels? You agreed to accept this one as our ransom, answered the gingerbread man. You misunderstood me. I said three. Didn't I say three, boys? declared the pirate, turning to his men and shouting. You did! You did say three sparklers! cried the retired pirates and bandits in a loud chorus. So John, with a sigh of regret, picked the other two diamonds out of his body and gave them to the chief. Now I'll allow you to go. 
but where you can go is a mystery to me, for you're on an island. Stop! cried another man as they turned to depart. You've got to settle with me now. I am the bandit chief, and I demand a ransom as well. I have given the pirate chief all the diamonds I have, said John. Then you're surely boiling oil, shouted the bandit, scowling fearfully. Steeze them, my men. We'll take them to the fiery furnace. But just then came a flutter of wings, and the four flamingos flew down and sailed just over the heads of the prisoners. Instantly the bear clutched the end of a cord and was drawn upward by one of the birds. John Doe grasped the foot of another flamingo with his right hand and was also raised high above the heads of the astonished pirates and bandits, while Chick coolly sat within the loop of string dangling from the two remaining birds and sailed into the sky with admirable grace. Meanwhile the robbers shook their fists and yelled at the escaped prisoners in a frenzy of helpless rage. Wait a minute, Peribun called to the flamingo which was carrying him, for he observed that just below him was the form of the dreadful person who had called himself Sport. The bird obeyed, remaining poised in the air, and at once the bear curled himself into a ball, let go of the cord, and fell downward toward the ground. The ball of rubber, rapidly descending, struck the surprised Sport and smashed him flat upon the ground. Then back up into the air bounded the bear again, and at once caught the cord that was attached to the flamingo's foot. "'Well done!' called the cherub, while the pirates and bandits were rushing to assist the helpless sport. "'That was a noble deed indeed, my good Pera," said the gingerbread man. "'Oh, I'm a bouncer, all right,' answered the bear proudly. But now let us get away from this awful place as soon as possible. So the flamingos flew swiftly across the sea, and John Doe found that he sailed more easily while clutching the bird's foot than when the cord had been fastened round his body. Chick also rode with perfect comfort, but Perabruin was obliged to wrap the cord several times around his fat paw to prevent it from slipping out of his grasp. After a long and steady flight, the birds reached another island, larger than the first and much more beautiful. The adventurers looked down upon green valleys and vine-covered hills, patches of stately forest and fields of waving grain. But aside from the scattered farmhouses, they saw no cities or villages until they were over the exact center of the island, where a most curious sight met their view. The island was divided into two halves by a high and strong wall of stone that ran from ocean to ocean, passing exactly through the center of the land. In the middle of the island, the dividing wall was broken by a great castle which looked upon both sides of the wall and had many imposing towers and turrets and spires stretching high into the air. Clustered near to the castle and upon the east side of the wall were many tall and narrow buildings some of them rising to a height of three or four stories. The windows in these buildings were tall and narrow, and the doors were tall and narrow, and the chimneys were tall and narrow. It was quite a city in size, but the houses all looked as if they were set upon stilts, while the streets were also narrow. On the west side of the wall adjoining the castle was also a city, but of quite a different nature, for the houses were low, none being more than one story and the windows and doors in them were so broad and low 
that they were wider than they were high. As for the streets, they were remarkably broad. The cities on both sides of the wall were pretty and well-built, and there were many beautiful parks and pleasure grounds scattered about. Our friends had not much time to observe these things closely, for at John's request the flamingos lit upon the top of the great wall near to an entrance of the castle. One of the flamingos said, We must leave you now, for we are obliged to hurry home again, but I am sure you will be quite safe in this beautiful country. Goodbye, said John, and thank you very much for bringing us here. Chick and the bear also thanked the kind flamingos, and then the birds flew into the air and soon disappeared.